Hey everyone, welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. I'm your host, Rob Stennett, here with my co-host, Andrew Harmon, and you're about to hear a spoiler-free, because we're not really talking about meanings of specific movies. This is our end-of-year overarching, so it's actually spoiler-free discussion about podcasts, about everything that's going on. I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Harmon. Andrew, what's up? What's up? Yeah, today is a big spoiler-free episode, but we're just going to tackle as many movies as we can think of for 2022. Talk about sort of this year in the movies. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler about my movie list. Uh, It's not great. I kept going to see the duds in theaters accidentally, so my list, probably not the winner. Yeah, I mean, this is always a tricky thing to do because I feel like it's an incomplete. I feel like I need, like, halfway through 2023 and then i can actually make this list a lot of times during the oscar season when all the best picture nominees come out then i really am like all right that's what i need to attack i see not just the best picture nominees but like who are the best performances what are the best screenplays like totally people roll their eyes about the oscars but i still think um I was about to make a Will Smith joke, and I'm not going to do it. It's not funny. It's I was going to say, where, where else can you see one of your favorite comedians get slapped in the face by one of your favorite action stars? Like, I don't know. Uh, but I, I still ride with the Oscars, and part of the reason that I ride with them is because the debate about what movie's the best, the debate about what performance is the best, like all of that's really interesting, and it helps us... Here's the thing, Andrew. So many movies come and go and just get disposed of and forgotten. And without things like end of the year lists, without things like the Oscars, we just kind of like see these things that people spend years in their life creating and making and millions and millions of dollars. And we just kind of like, meh, we're kind of like the dude in soul who's just like, meh, and we like dispose them and go with the next thing. And I think like it at least merits a few times to like stop and think about what all did we consume and why all did it matter? So here's what I just heard you say. I heard you say that the making of lists is a morally right activity. Yes. <laughs> that one should make lists in order to make their life better. Yes, that's what I was really saying. Because <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> lists make the world go round. Um, what, I, what I would advocate for is reflecting. That's the whole point of this podcast is okay don't just see something and let it throw it away watch something and think about all right what was that what did it mean what did it mean to me what would it mean to the people who are making it that actually is a category we had at the very beginning of this this podcast that we got away from which was what did this movie mean to the people making it which i think is always a really interesting thing especially when you watch a movie that's kind of a dud that you go like what 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 did this mean to the people who were making it like you know, how did how did it misfire? But like, what was the meaning for them? I always think that's really fascinating, too. Yeah, I mean, there's two types of duds. One is the money grab dud where it's like, OK, Jurassic World Dominion, <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It's just like, all right, let's just create more content in this stream. And therefore, all right, it's a dud, but we had to make something because we know there's an audience. For sure. And then two, there's like the Babylon duds, which are like, all right, I'm not I haven't seen Babylon, so I'm not passing judgment. What I can say objectively is it flopped at the box office. It's getting killed by both, you know, reviewers and audiences. And that is a movie that is original story by one of our great filmmakers that's getting killed. And so that's a more interesting dud. That is a more interesting, like, what really happened here? 
Right. And what did it mean to him? What was his yes. story he, he yes. was trying to tell that did not connect but meant something to him? I always think that's really interesting, especially because some of the wisdom I've heard before is if you tell something that's incredibly personal to you and that is as a storyteller, if you tell your story or a story that connects very deeply with you, more often than not, that ends up being a universal story that connects very deeply with other people. And you just may not realize it because you've been keeping it sort of tight. Um, but then when you sort of open up and tell a story like the Fablemans, right, with something that's very, very personal, it turns out to be somewhat of a universal story. So I think it's really interesting when someone does tell maybe a personal story or a story that does resonate with them and it just flops and is not resonant. Yeah. And I mean, it's cute advice like, hey, you should tell something that's meaningful to you. But actually making a movie that's successful, a movie that resonates, a movie that works, there's so many pieces there to actually put it together. It is why I want to see Babylon to see, like, what happened there? Maybe it's like a blank check situation. You know, one of our favorite podcasts is Blank Check, and they look at the filmography of, like, filmmakers who are just like, hey, you did such great work. We're just going to give you a blank check to make whatever you want to make. And Babylon seems like that sort of film where it's just like, you know, sometimes it's not you need checks and balances. Like even though we like make fun of the studios and attack the studios, sometimes you need someone who like looks at what you're doing and like, okay, time out. What's going on here? What are you trying to do? And Babylon and maybe a few of these other flops this year may be the case for that. Well, let's dive into this into this podcast and uh, start start talking about some of our special categories today. Uh, one of our first categories is what was the meaning. In 2022 movies, if you look at sort of the broad picture of the movies that came out this year and you were going to give like a meaning to it, what's your broad takeaway? I think movies are sort of like a high school graduating class where you see this whole group of people and some of them you're like, okay, this guy is going to go on and like become a doctor lawyer. And okay, this guy may, you know, like rob a bar in the next six weeks, you know, like, but you see, (laughs) you see this, but they're still kind of unified by like that one graduating year and movies are kind of the same thing. And the reason that I like to do these sort of exercises as well is think about like, all right, when are movies hitting their peaks? When are movies hitting their valleys? Um, And one overarching thought that I had in 2022 movies is, I didn't even write this on my list, but I actually think the best of 2022 movies are better than anything in 2020 and anything in 2021. Um, And a lot of that's because of COVID. So a lot of movies were either shelved or pushed back for production production reasons or COVID reasons, but I felt like we have, when I look at the top movies of this year, I think they're a lot stronger than the last two years kind of post COVID combined. I feel like that's true. And I'm really excited to get to your top five list at the end of this episode. Yeah, I was looking at my top five and I actually thought like, I think these five I liked better than anything in 2021 or 2020. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Well, talk to me about this this year then. What was sort of your takeaway about this year then? So first thing I have to do is we have to start out with a funeral. Um, I'm giving a funeral for two epic runs. One is the Marvel run from like 2008 to let's say 2019, Um, but really ending in 2021 with Spider-Man and then just Pixar's run overall. When Marvel and Pixar used to have a logo that would come up, I was just like, okay, I'm in. I'm going to go see this movie. I don't care what it is. Like Marvel, like people roll their eyes at it or whatever else. And I'm not like a huge Marvel fan. I don't necessarily love all the Marvel movies. But in that run, I was like, they're always interesting. And honestly, they're always good. Even if it's just mindless popcorn entertainment, it's good. 
those days are over, bro. Like, I'm not saying there will not be good Marvel movies anymore, but it's time for a funeral of like, oh, if it has Marvel, it is good. That is not true. The content has been stretched too thin, too many TV shows, too many things. And two of my worst times of the theater this year, honestly, like Love and Thunder and Doctor Strange were just bad. Yeah, I fully agree with that. The more interesting thing, though, I think about what you just said was that you want to do a funeral for Pixar as well. Which... Yeah, Pixar is my jam. We haven't done a Pixar movie yet, which there's so many movies out there, Andrew. Like, <laughs> I don't know how we do them all. But you, I think you and I both really love Pixar. And for me, like anytime I saw that ju- lamp jumping on screen, I was like, I'm in. I want to see what it is. Yeah. And man... I mean, I'm going to talk about this a little later, but maybe I can just talk about it now. I hated Turning Red. It it was horrible to watch. I did not like it at all. And it wasn't really the politics of the movie, because I think Everything Everywhere All at Once had very, very similar themes. They're almost like the same movie. And Everything Everywhere All at Once is amazing. And Turning Red was just like not a good movie all over the place. No Pixar magic. The, the the thing that makes me so sad is like I really root for Pete Doctor and one of these days we're going to do an episode on Toy Story 3 and when we get to the Toy Story franchise we'll get to talk about Pete Doctor and John Laster and all that thing but like specifically Pete Doctor has had one of the most moving runs out of Pixar movies of any of the yes. directors I mean, he's he's the guy who directed Up, Inside Out and Soul like he he is very much connected to that Pixar heart that we sort of know and love And it seems like since he's had the reins of the studio, which he got in like, you know, he took over studio head in I think 2018 or 2019, things have started to turn, which is like bums me out because he's like my guy. As far as Pixar goes, like Pete Doctor's my guy. And so to see him in the chair of the studio excites me so much, but it's just not coming through. Here's the thing, Andrew. Michael Jordan, one of the best basketball players, not one of the best. What am I talking about? Michael Jordan (laughs) is the best basketball player to ever live. Hard stop. When Michael Jordan became an owner and a GM, it just didn't work. It was like that guy meant to be was meant to be playing on the court. And I think the same is true with Pete Doctor. I think he is a filmmaker and not a studio executive. And I think that's part of like the mistake that a lot of these studios are making is like, oh, this guy's a really good filmmaker. We're going to make him the boss of a bunch of other filmmakers and manage projects versus I think when he's at his best is like, I'm going to give my all into this one film and I'm going to do yeah. this story right and do whatever it takes. OK, I didn't mean to get into a deep dive of Pixar. Sorry about that. <laughs> Pixar is not the headline of 2022. I think the headline is we are now officially in the next normal kind of post streaming wars and post COVID like whatever it is that things are going to be now is the case. One thing interestingly that really this little bit like movie business inside baseball, but like all the streaming services were hit really hard financially. Netflix was gutted financially. Even Disney has been hit really hard as they're trying to figure out like how to make the streaming service financially viable. And what that means for us, the moviegoer, is like there's no more like kind of Netflix writing 200 blank checks, giving, you know, Noah 
Bombach, $150 million, whatever he gave to make white noise, like Power of the Dog getting $200 million, like all these like, hey, we're just going to like give away money because we're printing money. Like those days are over. So streaming services are going to be a lot tighter with their money, but they're still going to do like a lot of interesting films. A lot of films are going to go straight to streaming. And then movie theaters did not die. They're not going anywhere. And so there will continue to be like great movies, small movies, big franchise movies. I think whatever like the filmmaking state is, is kind of going to stay in this place for the next couple of years until there's another big like metaverse or virtual reality or some sort of thing that we don't see coming that upsets the apple cart. But I think for wherever we are right now, this is the next normal. So we're having a funeral for Marvel and Pixar, but we are not having a funeral for movie theaters and the general movie business. The streaming platforms didn't win. That's what that's that's what you're telling me. No, they're, I think it's all settled in, right? Like, I think streaming is here to stay and multiple streaming platforms. It's like we got rid of cable, but now we have to pay for eight. <laughs> you know, we have to get Paramount Plus and we have to get Peacock and we have to get HBO Max. You know, like you have to get eight different streaming platforms if you want to, like, keep up with all these movies. And then movie theaters are still here. And I think that's going to be the way it is for the next couple of years. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. So that brings me to uh, an interesting, interesting question, which is where do you think with the place that streaming services have and movie theaters have? Where do you think sort of the best storytelling is coming out of then? Movies are my favorite form of storytelling because they feel pure to me. Um, that, that feels sanctimonious and I don't mean it to you, know, but it's like a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> movies have a beginning, middle and end. And that's it. Like, like sure. a, a real movie just is like, hey, here's a story. And it's what stories were meant to do, which is like, hey, there's a beginning, middle and end. And every since Shakespeare or Aristotle or the Bible, I don't know, pick you pick whatever like classic story form you have. But that's what they do. But <laughs> with that long preamble, I think TV series are the best storytelling right now and we've wrestled with that a little bit in our own podcast the meaning of the movie but when i look at the list of uh tv series that have come out in the last year i think that's where a lot of the great storytelling is i think of severance i think of succession i think of better call saul which had a great finale stranger things which we talked about Andor is doing the best star wars stuff maybe since return of the jedi like there's so many great TV series, which are just like um, episodic and telling something magical. And I, I love what TV is doing. I think when we have this conversation, sometimes we, we talk about television versus movies. And those are sort of the two formats. And there's one format in the middle that I feel like I've seen a huge rise of in the last several years. And that's the limited series or the miniseries. Yeah. And to me, that is one of my favorite versions of storytelling that sometimes isn't a home run but i feel like i get a lot of home runs out of that format it's like almost like a novel on screen it's enough time to really dig into characters but it doesn't fall into the traps that you get in a lot of um serialized television series that have to go season after season after season where there is no end and everything is just sort of re-rolling and rebooting yeah i saw this series this year called the staircase which is based off a crazy Netflix documentary. And it's like a, I don't know what it is, eight or 10 episodes that kind of explores this like true crime murder story, but it's a definitive like beginning, middle and end. There's no yeah. season two of the staircase. Right. Um, and, and I would agree that like that is traditional storytelling. And what I mean by like TV is a cheat is like 
they're always thinking about like, okay, what's season two going to be? What's season three going to be? And even every episode is designed to kind of end with a like, dun, 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 you know, like, okay, you got to like click and watch what's going to happen next. Right. And even though that storytelling is amazing, there's something a little bit <sighs> manipulative may not be the right word, but there's just something like content creation machine that I see behind it where like a movie is just like, hey, sit down by the campfire and let me tell you a story for sure. And I have one more big thought when it comes to 2022 movies, and that's this. I should have led with this. Listen, I have good news, listeners. There are still a lot of really great, meaningful movies out there. You have to comb through probably a lot of garbage. You have to go have some rough experiences around the theater. But that's why we still need podcasters. We still need film critics because there are great, meaningful movies out there that need to be watched, need to be seen. And like I said before, I really liked and or loved many of the movies that we're going to talk about in this episode. Which I want to jump into. So let's get into our special categories today. We've looked at the year as a whole. We had a couple of funerals. We got excited that movies are still here. We gave a shout out to TV. Now we're jumping back into movies. So here we go. What was a movie for you, Rob, that just like came out of nowhere and surprised you this year? One of the things that I love in a movie is when I go and see it and I've never seen a trailer. I've never really don't know anything about it. I'm just walking in cold. And I had a couple of those experiences. Probably my number one was this movie called The Menu, which maybe I'd seen a trailer once, but I knew nothing about and just went with some friends on a double date night. And I was just hooked in. I was like, this is such clever, original storytelling. And it was absolutely amazing. Did you see The Menu? I did. I hadn't really seen any trailers, too. I went and saw it with my wife for my birthday. I said, hey, I've heard great things about this movie from people. And I disagree, man. I thought that movie was bonkers and did not hook me at all. The, the biggest thing for me was there wasn't a single likable character in the movie. And I found it hard to connect to. But I know a lot of not, people not really, even really her? dug it. Not even uh No, Anna not Taylor at all. Do- not at all. What did you not like about her? I thought she was too standoffish and cold. I didn't know about her. They didn't give me any real reason to like her other than the fact that she wasn't a psychopath like everyone else. She was just like a normal person, but she still felt really cold. And she didn't want to be at the restaurant. So I didn't know why I wanted to be at the restaurant. If she didn't want to be there, then why did, why did I want to? I, I don't know. Like there was there was something about it, even in a really good horror movie, which this isn't necessarily. I feel like there is something that like draws you in and sucks you in. I was not sucked in by this this movie. There was a lot of mystery. There was a lot of questions that it was being that were being asked but sort of at the end of the day i was um (laughs) i walked out of the movie and my thought was well that was a movie so as is a meaning of the movie tradition this is where andrew got it wrong um (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding i i do think it's a divisive movie and i could see feeling that way it's interesting to me that like that's a prerequisite for you or something that seems to happen a lot where it's like i need to connect with a character Otherwise, uh, it's hard for me to get into it. For me, what hooks me into a movie is like, I want to be surprised. I want to be taken on a journey. And like I said, I knew nothing about this movie. Sure. And what I thought was fascinating about this movie was like, this is a movie all about class, which like they spend the first 15 minutes and every character is kind of a villain in some sort of way. Like it's very, very intentional, which is like, you are not supposed to like anyone here. And the right. only reason you're supposed to like our protagonist is because she's not one of these people. Exactly. And she's kind of like standoffish and disgusted by them. So right. 
that was such a great setup to me. And then they just like slowly like ratchet up the tension where he does stuff like, hey, I'm going to serve a menu of bread without bread. And the restaurant owners or, or customers are like, what? What's going on here? And then he does thing after thing where they just like slowly ratchet up the tension, but you still don't know where it's going. And for me, that was thrilling. For me, I was like, I have not seen anything like it. If you ask me to explain yeah. what the menu is, I can't do the The menu is this means that I can't give you like, oh, it's one part Amityville horror and another part, you know, Chef Ramsay. Like it's it's not there's nothing quite like it. And so sure. it was a theater packed full of people, lots of laughter, lots of gasps. And it was just like a roller coaster ride that was original storytelling, which just drew me in. That's that's fascinating. So I saw it in an almost empty theater, so that might have affected my viewing experience a little bit. Um, but yeah, it is a really interesting theater. I would say it is probably most similar to maybe a Jordan Peele movie. I think it's interesting that you say that it's that for me, I have to connect with the character in order to enjoy a movie. I think that's 100 percent true. And I think it's because if I'm going to spend time with people, whether it's the people on a screen or the people that are, are, are around me, I, I need to like at least one of them. Right. Um, so even if the situation is really crazy and mysterious and interesting and perplexing, if I don't like any of the people that are in it, I feel like, well, I don't want to be spending time with these people. I would rather I would rather spend my time somewhere else. I, I think it's a very common thing. I'm working on a screenplay right now and wrestling through like characters making decisions, which I'm like, OK, if they make this decision, I'm going to lose my audience and sure. maybe better for the story, but I'm going to lose my audience. And so I think that's true for me, um, liking a character or following a character is not at all a reason to take me in the story. For me, I'm like, am I in the hands? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I in the hands of a capable filmmaker? Are they going to do something interesting and are they going to do something surprising? So I would say with the menu, especially if you especially if you are an artist, if you're a creative or someone who like creates entertainment or art. I do think it is a very interesting m m movie to watch sort of for the final takeaway at the end. Again, wasn't my, my cup of tea. I didn't particularly love it, but I think the things that are on the movie's mind could be particularly interesting to talk about with friends if you're a creative person in your like profession. Right, and I think that's why so many artists connected with it. Um, I want to give two more shout-outs real quick. One is a movie that I was hoping to talk about. Couldn't quite make time for it, but it's this movie called Prey. Um... I love Jurassic Park movies and talked about how all the sequels disappoint me. Another one of those is Predator is one of my all time favorite action movies. And every time there's a subsequent Predator, I'm like so all in, like excited to see a new Predator and it disappoints me. And then Prey comes along. I didn't even know they were making it. I didn't even know what it was, but I just thought it was such a unique that this is kind of like it's Lash of the Mohicans meets Predator, you know, like it is like the Revenant meets Predator. I don't know. It's this kind of Wild West frontier story. Uh, and what if Predator was there? And I just thought it was like such clean, fun, engaging storytelling. And I had no idea they were even making it. It came out. It showed up on Hulu. I clicked on it and I just loved it. I love that. What else you got? And then final shout out. There's a bunch of biopics musicians that came out this year the elvis movie whitney houston movie those are all fine but weird the weird al story was dude i loved that movie it was so fun so funny and i'm a weird al fan but like it's the perfect weird al movie and i really yeah. enjoyed it 
I love that. So I had two that just completely came out of nowhere and, and surprised me. The first one, obviously, has got to be Everything Everywhere All at Once, which we've talked about a ton on this podcast, so we don't need to rehash that. If you haven't heard our episode on that movie, one, go see that movie, and two, listen to that episode. But that was a movie that I did not think I would like at all, and it's been and is one of my favorite movies of the year. So that one for sure surprised me. And a lot of people on our Facebook group love that movie coming up all the time. The other movie that completely surprised me um, that I expected to be just a really kind of schlocky, pulpy horror movie was the movie Barbarian, which I love this movie came out of nowhere. So this is one of these movies that I did not like at all. And I can stand here and say it was an incredibly good movie. Like, if you like horror, this movie is fantastic. Um, I walked out of it being like, I wish I hadn't seen it. <laughs> but it is so skillfully directed. It is skillfully plotted. It is like everything about this movie for a, a horror movie. The what on earth is going on? Terrified, crawling out of your skin. This movie has got it. So again, I like I do not ever want to see this movie again. And I have a hard time recommending it because it made my skin crawl so much that I did not like it. But it is so well made that I'm like, if you love horror movies, you have to see it. And it came out of nowhere. I was like, this is really, really good. In the first five minutes of this movie, I was like, I'm in. This guy knows what he's doing. I've never heard of him. I don't know what else he's done. But this is someone who knows how to tell a story. This is someone who knows how to craft a scene. It's not just cheap jump scares. No. There's really layers and levels. And and it tracks. It's like realistic, especially for the first half hour of like, okay, uh, we both showed up at the same Airbnb. What's going on here? You know, like it just it's wonderful. So I very much agree with that. There's a moment in. Um, sort of towards the, the the first half of Barbarian in which a door shuts and will not open, Rob. Um, the day after I watched that movie, um, there was a uh, a pipe leak in my apartment building. We started to expand all of the wood, and I didn't realize it. And it expanded the wood of my bathroom door so that when I tried to get out of the shower the next morning, my bathroom door was jammed and wouldn't open. And I nearly jumped out of my skin because <laughs> I thought that movie had come into real life to get me. Bro, <laughs> I am a grown man. Awesome. <laughs> and and my, my, my stomach was as in my throat as it could possibly be like 24 hours after seeing that movie. Again, it is such a good horror movie uh, and I never want to see it again. <laughs> I have another question, Andrew, which is like, what movie disappointed you the most? What was a movie that you were really excited about that you were just like, man, that, this was a bummer. Thor Love and Thunder like crushed my soul. Oh, yeah. I was so excited for that movie. Um, and because I've seen Taika Waititi take so many wild swings and hit home runs. And so I trusted him with what felt like another totally wild swing. And what the movie ended up being is everything you would expect from that pitch, <laughs> which was nothing surprising and all just like weird, wild, disconnected tissue of a movie that probably shouldn't exist. Um, and I think what disappointed me even more is I have I really enjoyed Thor's story arc through the first decade of Great Marvel. And when it reached the end of sort of the end game chapter in which his story really didn't end like our other big two heroes, like our original right. Avengers were split into sort of our top three and our like second tier three. Right. You had like Iron Man, Captain America and Thor sort of on top and Captain America and Iron Man got really great story arcs and Thor sort of didn't. His story arc didn't go anywhere. And I was really disappointed by that. And then I heard he was getting a fourth movie and I was like, 
awesome. We're going to give him like that's why they didn't end his story the way I thought they would. It's because it's still going to go and they're going to take him in some place that's really surprising and really cathartic for a decade of this man's story. And this movie delivered on absolutely none of that. Yeah. Part of the reason people get upset about Marvel movies and the reason I get upset about them is because it takes our great directors like Sam Raimi, you know, maybe not he's one of our great directors, but at least one of our more interesting directors. And he makes uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And then it takes a director who I really do love and think is great, uh, Taika Waititi, and wastes him or he wastes the opportunity or it just seemed like a waste everything in that movie and it had really fun guns and roses music which i love it had some good like fun jokes but it was just it had christian bale kind of trying to be this great villain but everything about it i was like Ugh, i don't know what that was and i don't need to see it again to make sense of it how about how about one of yours one that that you thought you would love and disappointed you the other film for me, and this is where I'm going to be in movie jail, is The Batman. Um, that movie like has Nirvana songs. It has Robert Pattinson, who I think is incredibly talented. Night of When he was cast as Batman, people were like, oh, Twilight Batman? And I'm like, no, you need to see Good Times. You need to see The Lighthouse. This dude can act. And I still think he can act. I talked about how I love voiceover in movies, and voiceover is so great. The Batman is like a case study and why you should not use voiceover in movies. <laughs> it was everything wrong with voiceover. It added nothing new to the story. It didn't add any character. It was just pure exposition dumps. Um, I love Paul Dano. We talked about him in Fablemans. Uh, I thought he did good as the Riddler, but everything in this movie just, it just disappointed me. I walked out of the theater and I was like, oh man, this did not work for me. And I know I'm in the minority. I know most people are like, this is the best Batman movie maybe ever. And I wanted to love that the way everyone else did. And I don't. So here's here's my take on the Batman. I thought it was a really fun film noir. I don't think it needed to be a Batman movie. I think you could put make that movie exactly like it is. Take everyone out of a Batman costume. Give everyone a different name. And it's still a great movie. Like Batman is basically just an a detective in this movie. He's hardly ever Batmaning. He's just going around like solving clues like, you know, uh, a Cary Grant would back in the 50s, right? Uh, he just happens to be wearing a Batman costume. So to, to, to me, I was like, this sh this should have been called like, I, I, I don't know, you know, death comes for Gotham or whatever. It's like it, it, it should be like some cool Hitchcockian film noir and it doesn't need to have Batman in it. That was kind of my takeaway. So my mom used to buy this breakfast cereal and she'd buy like, it wasn't like Fruit Loops, it was like Fruit Lops or it was like Lucky Charms <laughs> or something like that. This is how the Batman felt to me. It felt like cheap venture. It's like, ah, it's not quite seven. It's not quite Zodiac. It just felt like a knockoff, mm, like a three VHS version away knockoff of everything David Fincher. And again, I saw the trailer for this movie and I was like, inject it into my veins i'm so all in on this movie and maybe yeah. that's why it like fell for me so hard because i agree with what you were saying like yeah it works better as a film noir but it wasn't it was three hours long it had batman kind of standing in a suit doing detective stuff i think that's a cool take on it i like that they're doing something new so again i want to applaud this movie and it just disappointed me i was like ah i think i think it should have been better so my final most disappointed I was in a movie this year is a movie that no one was really looking forward to or thinking about, or even one that I was particularly th thinking about, but was the musical Cyrano that came out this spring. Did you see that? I did not. 
Okay, you, please don't. Um, <laughs> I was so excited to see Peter Dinklage headlining a, a movie that was like like an old classic story that someone had turned into a musical. Joe Wright, who directed Atonement and Pride and Prejudice, is taking this and putting it on the big screen wow. with, P- with Peter Dinklage, who I freaking love. And I'm like, this is this could be this could be magic. This could be a really yeah. like magical movie. And it, 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 it isn't. It just absolutely isn't. Um, it, all all of that power that you think is going to be behind the story, it the unfortunately the songwriting. Whoever wrote all the songs, I'm sure they their families love them and they're great people. But it felt it was the most like amateurish songwriting of a musical I've seen in a cinema in my life. Wow. Um, it was it was just kind of like everything this movie should be is under delivering so hard. And Peter Dinklage is trying to act his pants off to lift it, lift it up. And there's just no material there for him to, to, for him to work with. So I was I was pretty bummed. No, I totally get that when it's like this director, this actor, this story, it all lines up. And for me, I geek out about those type of things, too, where I'm like, all right, yeah. it's all there. This should be great. And then you see it and you're like, oh, no, what happened? Right. Right. So, um, OK, we, we, we talked about um, what sort of surprised you, what you were disappointed by. What was just straight out the best time you had in theaters all year? I probably saw 30 or 40 movies in theaters this year, somewhere around there. And the best time I had was the unbearable weight of massive talent. I saw it opening <laughs> night and I saw it with my double date. With uh, our friends Walker and Missy, and my friend Walker is a movie uh, aficionado. Walker like loves good movies, and so but we were excited about this, and we just laughed so hard, like belly laughed at everything that was going on. Pedro Pedro Pascal, Nick Cage, it was totally silly, but I just loved this movie, and I think like if I'd watched it on streaming on my couch at three in the afternoon, I'd be like, ah, yeah, it was fine, a little overrated, but seeing it overnight in the movie theater. It was just magic. And I think that's part of the thing that you'll all keep coming back to is like there is something about seeing something opening weekend with a packed crowd of people and it just elevates it. And this movie was definitely one of those. I love that. I, I haven't seen it and I'm somewhat hesitant to see it because of that. Of like I'm definitely gonna be watching it by myself with headphones on an iPad like one night. Is it is it going to have that experience for me? Um, or, or not. So I've I've kind of he- hesitated to watch it because I, I missed I missed my window to see it in in theaters with friends. I think it's still worth seeing. I think it's a lot of fun. I love meta stuff. And so maybe it just works. But Nicolas Cage kind of commenting on his whole career. There's this incredible bit about Paddington 2 being maybe the best movie ever made that they keep talking about. And there's just a lot of fun stuff. Pedro Pascal is a treasure in everything that he does. And so I think it's worth checking out regardless. Awesome. What about you? Best time you so, had in theater all year. Honestly, best time I had in theater all years had to have been Top Gun Maverick. I freaking yeah. love that movie so much. It's such a great movie. Again, if you haven't seen it or haven't heard the episode, go back and listen to our uh, Top Gun Maverick episode for Rob I to geek out about Tom Cruise and, uh, you know, Navy jets for about an hour. But that movie probably by far the best time I had in theaters all year. But since we already talked about that for an hour earlier this year, I have two others. One of them was the Scream movie that came out sort of I almost put that on my came out of nowhere and surprised me list. Um, They haven't made a Scream movie in a decade. It's been, you know, they made the original three in the 90s and they made one back in like 2010 
and then they're making another one. Like that seemed like one of those movies that they probably just shouldn't have made. Right. Like the yeah. Scream franchise should be over. We don't need more Scream movies. And I really enjoyed it. Again, horror movies or scary movies are one of those great things to see in theaters surrounded by people so that you all jump at the same time and you all laugh about it. It's such an experience. And I thought that, to me, scream movies that are kind of fun, scary slasher, that's my sweet spot for scary movies, just personally. And I really enjoyed that and had a great time with, like, a buddy of mine went with me and, you know, we went probably, like, 10 o'clock at night with a whole bunch of other people in LA and it was it was fun it was just like a, a really good time yeah I saw that movie in theaters as well and it's weird I just felt kind of heartwarming about it I was like oh look it's Courtney Cox and oh there's Nev Campbell and I felt like it was like old friends it didn't even register to me as a super slasher maybe this is a indictment on how numb I am when I numb <laughs> yeah, yeah a lot of people get stabbed in that movie man like a lot yeah, yeah it's violent <laughs> It's violent, but I was just like, oh, this is like a fun, good time. Like it felt like hanging out, like it was like watching the reunion of friends or something like. So this is also probably going to land me in movie critic jail uh, with anyone who listens to this, this podcast who has a very refined palette for movies. But I think maybe one of the other best times I had in theaters this year was when I saw Michael Bay's Ambulance. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Not a great movie. But it's also not trying to be. It's Jake Gyllenhaal in an ambulance as a criminal with his adopted stepbrother trying to get away from the cops. And that's what it is for like two hours is just every conceivable scenario of a car chase in an ambulance directed by Michael Bay. That's what it is. And it's like actually a really good time. It's not deep. The characters aren't particularly interesting. It's just like it's it's going on a roller coaster. It's, it's like a theme park of a movie. And I like thoroughly enjoyed it. Here's my thing about Ambulance, a movie that I have not seen, but it's fun <laughs> to have Michael Bay, a filmmaker that I've made fun of a lot, sure. just do just do a fun thriller epic action movie. It's the opposite of what Taika did in Thor Love and Thunder, where he's kind of trapped. Michael Bay was like owned by Transformers for 15 years. And so for him to just go out and make an original movie that's a fun, original throwaway story, I'm like, Go for it, Michael Bay. Like, it's good to have you back. <laughs> Whatever that means. Like, it's good to have, like, bad boys, uh, you know, kind of mid-90s Michael Bay back. That's what this movie felt like to me, even though I didn't see it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it, it, it feels like. And I think there is something to be said about throwaway stories. I think on the opposite side of, like, a Marvel film where we're so connected to these characters, right? Like, oh, this is their fourth outing, or this is their final outing. Like, I hope it lands the plane. I hope there's all this emotional catharsis, right? Like, I don't, I don't, I didn't walk As into you know, ambulance I love lists. caring and about so any of the characters. What better way to end this- 2022 than, let's just go through all of our top five. I was debating on how to do this. Maybe you give your five and I give my five. Yeah, let's do it. I'll, I'll start first. My number five... Okay. <laughs> It's kind of a cheat. I had a two-way tie of Maverick and All Quiet in the Western Front. I could not keep either of these off my list, and I wrestled back and forth which went through. And I think a lot of people would have both these near the top of their lists. Maverick was the blockbuster of the year. It was the most fun I had in theaters. I talked about um, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, but it's just a pure, pure blockbuster. Maverick was so fun. And All Quiet in the Western Front is just mastercraft filmmaking and so i could not make a list without putting these two on it and so i'm kind of cheating with a 5a and 5b so my number four was barbarian we talked about it before but like 
I just, that movie is going to stick with me. And when I think about 2022 and when I look at a list five years from now, Barbarian is just a movie that I will remember seeing in the theater and it's right there. My number three, The Fablemans. You can listen to our episode to hear all the thoughts, but this is one of my favorite filmmakers making his best movie, I think, in 20 years or more. And um, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. It does everything a movie should do. Absolutely. Fablemans is is my number three as well. Spoiler alert for for my list. I've got Fablemans coming in right in the, in the middle on number three as well. I want to say one thing about my list, which is... I have no confidence in this list at all, which may be undercutting it. <laughs> but man, this was a hard list to make because I liked so many of these movies. Yeah. I was like, Maverick is way too low. All Quiet in the Western Front's way too low. But I was honestly like, I can't put those above the Fablemans. And even Barbarian, I was like, I can't put those above Barbarian because that was such a like burn in my brain, memorable, fresh original movie that I had to rank it higher. But I think... Six months from now, a year from now, I wonder what I'll actually think if these rankings are the same. Fablemans is three. What's number two for you? Number two, and this may fall way down, but like I just saw it, and it's the Banshees of Inner Sharon. It deals with a lot of the same themes of the Fablemans, but I think it does so in a way that's more interesting and original. This is a movie that is a fable. And I have to warn you, there are a lot of unlikable people in this movie. And so this may not even be in your top 20, Andrew. But I think <laughs> I think as far as like a filmmaker who is doing everything right, performances that are A plus amazing, and it has themes about what it means to create. It has themes about friendship and friendship versus creation, which is something that, you know, I think about a lot because I... You know, you and I are friends. We make a podcast together. I make film projects. There's so many things where friendship and creation like bleeds into each other. Um, And this film deals with it. And it ultimately asks the question of like, what's the most important use of your time? Is it better to use time on people or is it better to use time on creating art? And that's the core question, I think, in the middle of the movie. Um, And so anyway, it's just really, really interesting, super bizarre movie. So it's directed by Martin McDonough. Right? Correct. Who is my favorite filmmaker who I've never seen any of his movies. <laughs> Every time a trailer for a Martin McDonough movie comes out, I go, oh my God, that looks so good. And I've never seen one. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. I mean, he has very right? hooky movies. You know, like he has in Bruges, uh, yep. three billboards outside of Ebsen, Missouri. I think Ebbing, Missouri, I forget what mm-hmm. the town is, but like the three billboards movie that came out a few years ago, which I really, basically really every other movie that Brendan Gleeson is in is a uh, Martin yes. McDonough movie. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think this is his masterpiece. I think it's his best film. Yeah, um, I've got to go see it. It's, it's going to be gonna nominated for Best Picture. OK, it's probably I think there's a good chance it wins Best Picture. Um, oh, but I do have to warn you, like expectations, like stuff them down low because I could see you truly hating this movie. I can see a lot of <laughs> listeners truly hating this movie. Um, and it's one of those movies that I watched and I was like, I think that was good. And then I started thinking about it more and more and reading about it. And it ju- I was just like, dude, this is special. And so that's why I made it so high on my list. All right. Number um, two. What's number one? And, Let's hear it. And so, and then my number one, I didn't want to put this on number one because it felt really obvious to me, but there's no other film I could put besides Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, one of the most memorable movie theater experiences I've had in the last 10 years yeah. where I was just like, 
I can't believe what I'm watching. I can't believe they're pulling this off. Absolutely. And I think it's the movie of the year. And the thing that I think is so interesting about this movie is like the Daniels, right? The, the directors who, who made this movie. This movie is so ambitious and so crazy um, that I, I, I wonder if they're able to ever direct anything like like does this just land so perfectly on the knife's edge? Like their follow up, whatever their next movie is, is it? Is it just going to be a total train wreck? I will be there opening night for their next movie, but I will be there with very low expectations. Right. Because I do think this movie strikes such a unique tone that if they try to run anything else like this back, it will feel cheap to me. It will feel like, ah, right. I already saw you do this. And so it's almost like they have to do something completely different. Mm-hmm. And it, it may be, yeah, we were just like, oh, that was, <laughs> they're the one hit wonders. And this is their one hit. I certainly hope not. Sure. Um, but if it is a one hit, like it's a great one hit, man. man. This is an all timer. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's my top five movies. Let me read them again. Number five, A is Maverick. B is All Quiet in the Western Front. Number four, Barbarian. Number three, The Fablemans. Number two, Banshees of Inner Sharon. And number one, Everything Everywhere All at Once. That is Rob's top five movies of 2022 as of today. Love it. So I didn't know that we were allowed to have a number five A and B. Um, I didn't realize this was a top six list in disguise. I know. <laughs> such a lame, <laughs> such a lame move. So so here's here's mine coming in at number five. Uh, seemingly just to spite you, maybe the Batman. Um, I did enjoy seeing that in theaters. I did enjoy it. And admittedly, Rob and I did talk about this a little bit before we hit the record button today. Um, I saw about uh, 20 movies uh, in in theaters and new movies on streaming this year, and my list of movies that I picked that were good versus movies I picked that were total disasters, uh, not good. Um, definitely, I was shooting about 300. Yeah, you have a lot of blind spots, and so that maybe that's why <laughs> Batman made it so high. <laughs> I also because have, it's it's not Doctor Strange and it's not Thor: Love and Thunder and it's not Cyrano, right? Exactly. If it's better than Thor: Love and Thunder, I'm like not a bad movie. Um, I, I'm pretty I, sure I, Ambulance is better than the Batman, though, even though I've not seen it. So I'm just gonna say it's, that it's not. But it was a good time. I'll tell you that much. Um, all right. So I enjoyed the Batman. I love a good film noir, and you love a good film noir. I'm so confused I, why you don't love the Batman. We're gonna have to offline about this because it's a solid film noir, man. And you're I adore you're real film noir. You adore film noir. Um, anyway. So the Batman number five, number four for me, everything everywhere, all, all at once. You just talked all about that. I agree with you. Um, we have a whole episode on it. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts about why certain characters in that are so resonant with me and the way it un- unpacks certain things about, you know, depression and unsatisfaction with your life and the world and how we look at the modern day society. It's such an original way of looking at sort of, I think a lot of our modern problems that we have with mental health and that kind of stuff. It's a fascinating movie. Really, really, really love it. Um, number three, Fablemans. We, we talked about that. We just talked about it like a week ago when we launched, launched that episode. So the, the, the Fablemans, if you guys just scroll up one on, on the list, there's a Fablemans episode there. Hey, and I'm it's, surprised it's, and glad that it made it this high on your list because I wasn't sure, you know, Luke was so down on it. Luke was like, I don't know. And I felt like <laughs> I was on the attack having to be like, no, Luke, this is a good movie. And I, th- I think Luke's not going to be alone. I think a lot of people are going to be like, ah, it's a little too navel gazy. But I was really high on it. And so I'm I'm excited to see that it made it so high on your list. Yeah, I think it's just it's this wonderful, like we said on the episode last week, it's this w- w- wonderful movie about 
making art and your dreams and your passions in life and how that relates to the relationships that you have in your life and how your relationships shape your art and how your art can help shape your relationships or get in the way of them. It's it's yeah. just it, it really is a beautiful coming of age story meets origin story for a filmmaker meets a magical 50s story. Like it, it really is just a, a, a wonderful little story all the way around. And I really, really liked it. Um, number two, Top Gun Maverick, man. I, I I cannot overstate how much fun I had in the theater watching that movie. It was just so much fun. I I love a, a movie that just, you know, takes me on a wild ride like that. Tight storytelling, tight, simple story. Let's do it. Like, really, really liked how, how cool that movie was, how much fun it was. Just the sheer movie star power of Tom Cruise. And honestly, every other actor that, that, that they... That they put on screen, perfectly cast. Miles Teller stepping up into a really, really great job. Solid gold. It's just, it's yeah. a solid gold hit, man. Here's the thing, as you know, I'm a big '80s movies fan. I love '80s movies. Top Gun is one of those movies that I could throw away and never see again. I'm like, it's fine. I saw it when it came out. You know, like maybe not when it came out. I saw it on VHS and I was like, oh, this is cool. And then it just kind of went away. I was like, I never need to see a sequel for this. I don't care if we ever return to this world. I heard they're making a movie and I'm like, I don't know. It just seems nostalgic. And when I saw that movie in the theater, I was like, I cannot believe what a fun time this is. I can't believe this is what movies are supposed to do. And this is what movies can do that TV shows cannot. Exactly. So my number one movie of the year, and I struggled with this of, of whether or not I was going to put this as, as number one. I'm really glad that it made your list as number five part B, but that's all quiet on the Western front. Again, it was a movie that came out of nowhere for me. I didn't really know about it. It's actually a German language film. Um, yes, it, is. it, it, is uh netflix i think big big play for the uh for the oscars um but it it came out in in theaters for about a week in la um in in, in order to sort of qualify for the oscars and i went and saw it with a friend of mine and it is maybe one of the most gut-wrenching war stories i've seen in a really long time it's completely in 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 german so the whole thing is subtitled but it's about world war one from the german perspective um, which is not something that one we see in American storytelling all that much um, is seeing the, the the story of the war from the other side. Well, yeah, and the fact that it one it's a German film, so you're watching it from the other side, and two World War One movies. Like, let's make a list of the best World War One movies. All Quiet in the Western Front. That's the list. That's like, the like list. We just, yeah, you know, there's 1917 to be fair, which came out recently. Um, yeah. And so there are a few, but it's such a World War Two. There's a million movies. Vietnam. Right. There's a million movies. We don't make a lot of World War One films, and this one is totally unique. And I agree, man. I, my big problem with All Quiet in the Western Front is I didn't see it in theaters. Right. I think the thing that is so interesting about it, and maybe why we don't get more World War One movies. I think World War Two movies are much easier to make from a storytelling perspective because the moral reality of world war two is so obvious now yeah. right like nazis and nazism and the holocaust and concentration camps and genocide and the takeover of europe like everything about what was fought against in world war two is so obviously morally black and white right you know world war two this sounds callous but essentially it has a darth vader essentially yes. it has like one central villain and we as 
not just Americans, but as human beings, it's like, okay, I understand a villain. I understand their minions. I understand like what they're doing and I can make sense of that. There's good and evil and we're fighting for that and war, which is horrible. Or then on the other side of it, there's Vietnam, which is like, this is madness. This is crazy. It's completely morally gray. And it's just like, we're sending these boys off to war or war and they're losing their minds. There's that. And then world war one, where it's like, it's kind of heroic. It's kind of good, but I've taken five different history classes and I still couldn't give my kids a clean answer of like right. why we fought world war one and what it was exactly. Right. And so I think to see this movie that is such a compelling view of what it, what it means to be a, basically a rookie recruit to go off to war and then live through war and live through the realization of people dying of you having to go on missions, you having to go on missions that may or may not have any meaning, you risking your life. The reality of war painted so starkly, I don't want to say beautifully, but there is a beauty to the movie in a, in the way that it reaches in and kind of grabs onto your heart. It is very, it is incredibly stark. It's incredibly like cold, but somehow beautiful at the same time and connects you to these characters in this world that I've heard very little about World War One and even less about World War One from the German side. Yeah, I mean, this is like Oscar prediction territory, but I could definitely see Banshees of Inner Fablemans and All Quiet in the Western Front being three of the front runners when it comes Oscar time. Absolutely. Really, really wonderful movie. And there's almost no star power in it at all. It's a bunch of unknown German actors who absolutely crush it. I agree, man. I think that's a great choice and a really good list. So to recap that real fast, uh, number five, The Batman. Number four, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number three, The Fablemans. Number two, Top Gun Maverick. And number one, All Quiet on the Western Front. It's a it's a dark horse from, from a number one, but it really is a wonderful movie. I really hope you guys who are listening to this, if you haven't seen it, log on to Netflix, set aside a little time, watch this movie. It's really beautiful. Yeah, I hope you all find at least one movie that you haven't seen before to go check out. That's part of the reason we do this. And uh, we'd love to know from you. We'd love to hear your lists. You can share them on our Facebook page. You can email us. I'll put an email link in the file. And we just want to hear what were the movies that stuck out with you this year? Post those on the on, on the Facebook group for sure. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone else's list, see how they sort of all stack up and line up. We could even do a poll to see what the most number one movie on everyone's list is. Well, that is it for this episode. We have made it to the end of 2022. We've had a lot of fun episodes. Good news, 2023 is coming. More movies, more episodes. Uh, I think we're going to talk about Glass Onion really soon, which is another movie that is probably my top 10 of 2022. There's a lot of more good movies coming out, Andrew. A lot more good, good movies coming out. We're, we are going to talk about Glass Onion soon. We have a Jojo Rabbit movie that's we've already recorded that podcast, just sitting here right in the can. We're going to release it one day. Uh, who, who, who knows? It could be, it could be next week. It could be next month, but the Jojo rabbit episode is coming. And we have a vengeance episode, which I didn't talk about in my 2022 movies, but vengeance, which is another movie that I love. And we'll release that episode as well. So more movies coming at you, more content, but we so appreciate you listening. And until then we will see you next time on the meaning of the movie. Uh